Well, of course, I've been at the epicenter of this, you know, Tony Blair naming me today. Um, I am the evil devil because I dared, I dared in 2014 to stand up in the European Parliament and predict a war with Putin. I said that our expansionist policies to the east of NATO and the European Union would give Putin a nationalist cause. And I've been right. But of course, they could never admit that. So I'm not right. I'm I'm Vladimir Putin's best friend. I'm a big supporter of Putin. I'm right behind the wall. I mean, it's unbelievable, the complete inversion of the truth. I guess that's in the past, or is it? Or is it? Because yesterday... Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week's Fortune and Freedom Week in Review. My name is Rob Marstrand, and I'm filling in for Nick Hubble this week, um, who should be back next week um, to resume normal service. I'm joined by the inimitable Nigel Farage. Nigel, how are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. But uh, looking on at the world with a, a degree of bemusement, um, not just, obviously, what's going on in Ukraine, but Boris's trip to the Middle East does raise a few eyebrows. Yeah, well... Um, before we get on to that, perhaps we could just uh, look at a little bit of good news, which I noticed this week, which is that UK unemployment is about 4.1% measured up to January, which is about the same level it was um, before the uh, COVID pandemic. So that's that's one sort of shred of, of good news. Now, the big question is, and I, I suspect this is what you're thinking about a little bit, the big question is whether wages, particularly for the lower paid, can keep up with this cost of living crisis that we're now experiencing with um, prices of oil and gas and whatnot rocketing. So take, take us through what's been, going on, what's been going on in Saudi Arabia. Well, let's start with Saudi. You know, Boris goes to Saudi because we need to get some Saudi oil. He wants us to be energy independent. His new definition of independence is we don't buy it from Russia, we buy it from Saudi Arabia. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. <laughs> you know, there's been no new investment in the North Sea for three years because we have a London administration and indeed an Edinburgh one too that are now anti-oil, even though we're going to need lots of it for many, many years to come. The day that he arrives, not only do the Saudis execute another three people as a sort of quite deliberate snub to him, but, but they also announce the Saudis they're in talks with the Chinese about pricing oil, not just in dollars, but in one. And that's a big, you know, chuck of sand in the eyes, not just for Boris Johnson, but for Biden as well. And the moral of the story, you can't be friendly with Iran and Saudi Arabia at the same time. Just look at what's happening in Yemen to understand that. Uh, and yet the European Union, British government, US administration are determined to put the Iran nuclear deal back on the table. Add to that the 400 million, sort of ransom almost, uh, although we did owe the money, that we paid to Iran to get Nazanin back on that flight overnight. And what is Boris doing in Saudi Arabia on a day when we're getting much closer to Iran? And, and it just shows me uh, that our foreign policy is not well thought through. Um, it is a little, it, 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 I mean, it's a lot of, sort of speculation this morning that, you know, is this the end of the dollar as a reserve currency? Well, no, it's not, but it does show just how all-powerful the Chinese economy is becoming. Yeah, it's certainly another chip in the dollar's reserve status, you'd think. Um, but it's very interesting how the Saudis used to be you know, pretty compliant with, with what the, the US, their biggest supporter, needed. But they're, they're really um, snubbing the US and the UK at this moment in time. 
Um, they clearly have, Trump, have some power. Trump had put this relationship back on track. Trump had decided Iran are the bad guys. Iran are the theocratic extremist regime who, as a result of the Iran nuclear deal that Obama signed, had found themselves enriched and used some of that money to sponsor terrorism all over the Middle East. Trump cut that deal. His first foreign visit was to Saudi Arabia. And by the way, you know, I'm not picking nice guys and nasty guys because it's very difficult to do in that region, but a big strategic shift by Trump. We're going to work with Saudi Arabia. And now we have Biden edging back towards Iran, Boris and Liz Truss just all over the place. Um, and so Boris comes back with his tail between his legs. And it looks like we'll go on buying Russian oil. Yeah, well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see a little bit, but uh, I, I can't really see a way out of it. Um, I mean, obviously, the big backdrop to all of this is the rocketing oil price, which I think is around $103 uh, as we speak, but that will have changed by the time people see this. It's shown a lot of volatility going above 120 recently, just below 100. US consumer price inflation for the year to February was 7.9%, which is an illustration of the problem. And it's not that much better in the UK. RPI, the retail prices index, is already around 8%. Now, the Federal Reserve, which is the US central bank, I, I got to read you this headline I saw earlier on today. It says, Federal Reserve raises interest rates to battle rampant inflation. Well, they raised them from 0.25% to 0.5%. Are they taking it seriously? Well, regular viewers um, of this weekly slot will know uh, that Nick Hubbard and I have been saying for eight months that, in, that interest rates will not go up as much as they need to to dampen inflation because indebtedness, not least of which is national indebtedness, is so great that we couldn't bear rates to rise to where they actually need to be to dampen down inflation. What do you add to that? 28% of all dollars in circulation have been put out there in the last two and a half years. Incredible, isn't it? But it's true. 28% of all dollars in circulation put out in the last two and a half years. And you realise uh, that inflation may only just be beginning. Uh, and it's going to be here for a long time to come. And those idiots in the Fed and the Bank of England and Biden and Johnson, all of whom as recently as October, were laughing about inflation brushing it away. What did Biden say? Who is this guy? Who is this idiot? Uh, Johnson telling the House of Commons it wasn't a problem. Now they tell us by the end of this year, inflation will have gone away. I just don't believe it. Um, and I think that is, you know, above all, um, well, obviously there's Ukraine and what may happen there, but in terms of the Western economies, uh, it is the return of inflation and its impact, along with, you know, uh, along with cost of living problems, its impact on consumers and consumer spending. And that, I think, is, is where investors have to be. How do we protect ourselves against inflation? And what is the impact on the economy going to be of people having possibly quite a lot less money in their pockets? Yeah, I guess it all comes down to what happens with wages. Will, will employers be able to increase wages um, at a rate which keeps spending up? I mean, it's it's important to remember the last time we had rising or high inflation was back in the late 60s and 70s. And we're talking, so we're talking about half a century ago. So nobody's really used to this situation in, in developed markets. No, they're not. A lot of developments are happening. They're not. And we, we've, got, we, we've got the spring statement coming next Wednesday, which is almost like a full budget, to be honest, just given where we are with everything. Um, and kind of Westminster commentators are treating next Wednesday as a budget. All right. And I don't see any sign of Sunak pulling back from the national insurance 
rises, uh, leaving the tax thresholds frozen where they are with inflation means millions more get dragged in to top rate tax or at least the 40% ban below it. And the impact of all of this is people are going to have less money to spend, quite a lot less money to spend. And I've been thinking over the last few days, what are the impacts of that? What do we do with our free disposable income? Well, we go down the pub. We go out for an Indian. You know, that's what we do with our spare cash on Fridays and Saturdays. We go out and spend it on things like this. We, once every three years, perhaps buy a new car or up to upgrade uh, the car we've got. Uh, we take the family off to Spain for a fortnight or Italy or whatever we do. I mean, this is where our disposable, our free disposable income after all the essentials goes. And so I can see a real squeeze and I, I really feel actually for the hospitality sector. Yeah, I know Cheltenham's busy this week, but I do feel for the hospitality sector because they've had the most miserable couple of years. Uh, signs that everything's getting back to normal. I mean, London is heaving, absolutely heaving. The, the, the bar opposite um, uh, GB News' office. I mean, you know, last Thursday, they were spilling out onto the streets, almost like a sense of relief that normality had returned. But I think the truth of it is that for restaurants, for pubs, for the hospitality sector, for uh, the car market, and for overseas travel, uh, I suspect that the rest of 22 is going to be a lot tougher uh, than people had anticipated. Um, so you've got to think to yourself, well, what are the things that people will have to keep on buying? You know, so you kind of think, well, actually, oddly, some of the things that did very well during the pandemic are set to continue to do well. You know, home deliveries, for argument's sake. You know, that isn't going to change. I mean, there's, there's, there's actually a cultural change in terms of how we shop. We're used to things now being delivered to our door. And maybe, you know, maybe the big meal of the week becomes a takeaway rather than an eat out because the price difference is quite substantial. You know, household consumables, clearly, you know, people are going to go on buying those. And all the other things that people have done, you know, the massive growth of Netflix, home movies, of gamers, of all these things. So I kind of think even though we appear to be out of the, well, we, it feels like we're out of the pandemic. I kind of think, because of the cost of living, it's those same at-home things that will go on doing well, and it's the outside stuff in the high street that will do badly. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the hospitality, pubs and restaurants sector really is going to struggle, I believe. Um, you know, why pay, why pay four or five pint, uh, pounds for a pint when you can buy some tinnies and stay at home with your mates? Um, yeah. We'll yeah, and, you know, discounting in supermarkets, the big supermarkets selling you know, a dozen cans of lager for sort of 17, 18 quid or, or whatever it is. And you compare that, you, you buy that in a pub, you know, and it's 65, 70 quid. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm afraid that's where we're going. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Um, now, listen, I can't let you go without asking you how you see the situation developing between Ukraine and Russia. We've, there have been talks about treaty uh, discussions and peace and this and that, the other. It all seems to me a little bit too optimistic too soon, but what's your take on it? Well, of course, I've been at the epicenter of this. You know, Tony Blair naming me today. Um, I am the evil devil because I dared, I dared in 2014 to stand up in the European Parliament and predict a war with Putin. I said that our expansionist policies to the east of NATO and the European Union would give 
Putin a nationalist cause. And I've been right. But of course, they could never admit that. So I'm not right. I'm, I'm Vladimir Putin's best friend. I'm a big supporter of Putin. I'm right behind the wall. I mean, it's unbelievable, the complete inversion of the truth. I guess that's in the past, or is it? Or is it? Because yesterday, Boris Johnson said, Ukraine will not be joining NATO anytime soon. Yesterday, Zelensky said, we will not be joining NATO anytime soon. Why the hell they didn't say that a month ago when the Russian troops were massed on the border to take away from Vladimir Putin any possible excuse with his own people for launching the war? I don't know. I'm furious about it. The fact that's on the table and Ukrainian neutrality could be agreed as the key building block of a peace deal that would see Russian withdrawal uh, strikes me as being quite real, actually. And don't forget, the Russians have now had four generals killed, four generals killed, eight generals sacked, things ain't going well. Putin's now relying on Chechen fighters and Syrian fighters and other people to come in. Clearly a state of some demoralization amongst the, amongst the conscript Russian army. So I do see that as being, as being potentially quite good news. Too late, but potentially quite good news. The more difficult bit is how you deal with the two provinces of the Donbass region and Crimea, uh, whether there's a deal that they become independent, self-governing and autonomous whether there's some sort of deal of a future plebiscite to decide their future. I don't know. That's the hard bit. So is there going to be a peace deal immediately? No, but it's, it is increasingly looking in the interests of both sides to have some form of settlement. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more optimistic about this than I was. And I think with NATO being taken off the table, everything's in play. Well, it's uh, good to end on a note of optimism. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what actually happens. Yeah. Nigel, thank you very much. Uh, Nick Hubble will be back with you next week. Until next time. Thank you.